When I was about 13, I hiked to the summit of Mount Whitney. Anyone been up Whitney? Very tall. (laughs) We'd been in the wilderness for two weeks leading up to the ascent, coming in the long way. And on the way down the mountain, after an afternoon spent enjoying the amazing view and a night spent up there at 14,505 feet, I had one thing on my 13-year-old mind. I wanted a cheeseburger. (laughs) Spending two weeks in the wilderness uh, with nothing to eat but freeze-dried pasta cooked over an unreliable gas stove has a way of focusing a young man's mind on the important things in life. (laughs) Cheeseburgers. If you look at the map, it's only about three and a half miles from the summit down to the trailhead. But as any of you know who have done any hiking here in California, you'll know that trails never go straight from here to there. They switch back, they follow the ridge line, they swing wide and then carry you around by the long way. After seemingly endless afternoon of descending the mountain, I could finally see the end. I could see the trailhead right in front of me. But then the trail swung wide. Trail bent off far to the left, miles off to the left, and for what seemed like days, destination came in and out of view behind the trees, And we were held suspended between the wilderness and home. Almost 600 years before the word of God came to John in the wilderness, it came to a prophet that we call Isaiah, far away from John, far away from Jerusalem in Babylon. After generations in exile, This prophet brought the people of Israel good news. They were going home. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term. Long after the last of those who had been brought from Jerusalem had died, a new generation was being allowed to go back, freed at last from captivity in this foreign city. The prophet Isaiah went on, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That wilderness was the vast expanse of desert between Babylon, which is not far from present-day Baghdad, and Jerusalem, a little more than 500 miles away. This very real wilderness would be their straight road home. It would be the journey from Egypt to the promised land, only without the wandering. When the people of Jerusalem had first been taken into captivity, they did something bizarre. They did something almost unheard of in their time and place. You see, because in the ancient world, when your city got conquered, when your people got, uh, got conquered by an invading army, that meant something. 
besides the political reality. It meant something besides you have a new ruler. It meant that your gods had been defeated. The foreign gods had defeated your gods, and you know you better get on with worshiping the gods who have the real power. But in Israel's case, they did something weird. Instead of saying, okay, Babylon, you're gods, great. They said, "Uh uh-uh, our God made you do that. Our God made you do that. Because not only was their God their God, they were in this dawning realization that their God was the only God. Their God was not just the God of Israel, not just the God of Jerusalem, but somehow, in some way they were still grappling with, the God of history. This God who could use the mighty and powerful of the world to accomplish his purposes, whether they believed in him or not. So when Cyrus, king of Persia, came sweeping down out of the north, defeating Babylon, freeing the captives, they called Cyrus their Messiah, their anointed one, sent to do God's will. And so this God whose temple was in Jerusalem was not just their God, but the God of all time and space, the God of history, who draws all people to himself, redeems the violence of the nations for liberation and freedom for everyone. And so at least some of this would have been in the minds of those who were listening to John the Baptist preach. There in that same wilderness that brought their ancestors home from exile so many years before. The the liberation from Babylon had been a turning point in their history. A turning point in their relationship with God. So when Luke, when John declare that this liberation is happening again, that just as God had done a new thing in Babylon, so too was God doing a new thing now, all thought would have turned to the Messiah, the liberator, just like last time. Only this time, it was not just from a foreign city that they were seeking liberation. It was from Emperor Tiberius and Pontius Pilate, from Philip, and Lysanias, even from Caiaphas and Annas, the high priests of the temple. In other words, they were looking for liberation from the order as it stood, from the world as it is, locally, in their time and place, all the way to Rome, the capital of the empire. So it is no coincidence that Luke begins this part of his story with John in the wilderness. Since Abraham's wandering through, the, uh, through his journey from Babylon, from the journey from Egypt, the return from exile, the wilderness had been for John's people a place both terrifying and full of significance. The wilderness is dangerous and hostile. You have to cook on a gas stove. We humans need water flowing from rocks in the wilderness before it will be habitable. We long for the comforts of settled life represented by high walls of cities 
farms settled. But the wilderness is also a place of transformation, a place of renewal, a place where the people recognize how much they need one another and band together, how much they need their faith and their God who will finally lead them home. And so John places himself in the wilderness as a witness, as a a prophetic gesture, a reminder to his people that they are surrounded by this wilderness. It is where they come from, and it still has lessons to teach them. Indeed, I wonder if John is not going so far as to suggest that his people are already in that wilderness, in that strange middle ground between captivity and salvation. God is on her way, bringing their liberation, only hasn't quite arrived. Perhaps they too are suspended, seeing their destination, yet not knowing how they're supposed to get there. And so this state of suspension is where we find ourselves in Advent. It can sometimes seem as though it's the only place we ever find ourselves. As followers of Jesus, we know that the reign of God is on its way. That is the meaning of Advent. We know that God is drawing all things to herself, making out of our history her desire for the world. We know this. Only a lot of times it doesn't look that way. A lot of the time it can be hard to see. We only have to look for a moment at the news and to wonder what it is we mean when we say the kingdom of God is near. Refugees in their own wilderness, on crooked paths between home and an uncertain destination. Every day brings report of a new shooting somewhere in the country, somewhere in the world. It can be hard enough to find hope, let alone the salvation of God. Even in our own selves, in our hearts and minds, filled with fear and finding ourselves lost in personal wildernesses, we too are looking for that straight road home. And so in the middle of all this, we hear John telling us that not only we, but all people will see God's mercy. That is hard to believe. And so what are we to do? We who find ourselves in the wilderness of our lives, who find others struggling through the wildernesses of theirs, suspended caught between hope and desperation. Well, there are worse places to start than with Isaiah's words. Prepare the way. Make straight the highway. Through that repentance, that turning of the self back toward God, we may find new ways through the wild places of our lives, new ways to encounter God in the world. Or, if not for ourselves, then for others. Like Israel before us, we are not wandering through the wilderness alone. 
we can't straighten our own way, perhaps we can straighten others. Let's offer relief. Speak up for those whose voices have been banished or lost. Risk offering ourselves to one another to serve Christ in the world. Because God is coming. God is always coming into the wilderness of our lives to bring us home, to bring all people home. And we have been given an invitation to prepare that way. In this season of Advent, we are held in suspense, looking to the place to which we are being called and noticing how far we have to go. As we prepare for God's coming, here and now, let's not despair, but look to one another so that our faith may be strengthened, our hope renewed, for Christ is coming bringing all people home.